Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Again, we get to study your word. Thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for part one. Thank you for part two. Thank you for all we've learned about who you are, what you've called us to, our unity in you the role that your spirit has has played in our lives, the wisdom and the power of God revealed in the gospel. And thank you because we are about to take a step further into your word. I pray for clarity. I pray for understanding. I pray that the eyes of our hearts are open to your truth and that we're able to see clearly all that you intended um, through Paul, even writing this letter to the people of Corinth, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning um, slash whatever day and um, whatever time of the day you're listening to this. Um, welcome to First Corinthians part three. First Corinthians part three. Um, if you think that means we're in chapter three, I apologize. That is absolutely not the case. We're barely, <laughs> barely in chapter two. But um yeah, it's, it's been worth it. So far, we've pretty much given... Hi, Daisy. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you. Um, we've given an introduction to all that Paul has... Um, why Paul wrote the letter in the first place. It's pretty much him saying, I've heard people are doing this. About this, this is the answer. I've heard people are doing this. This is the answer. I've heard people are doing this. This is the answer. And we're in issue number one, Right which is what division in the church. Um, we're still talking. Last week, we spent a lot of time. Hi, Amaka. Good to see you. Um, hope you're feeling strong. <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, all right. It's um, from, what are I saying? Yes, we, we started off. I explained that Paul's approach in this letter is, number one, he presents the issue. Then he gives a theological perspective to that issue. And then he gives a very practical application. And so still on the issue of division, we've started to see how he's presenting the idea that in the gospel is the wisdom and the power of God revealed. And it's in such a way that the unbeliever will easily miss this, where in the message of the gospel, what they would fail to see rather than wisdom they would see it as not making sense rather than power they would see the crucifixion of god's chosen one as a sign of weakness but one of our highlights last week verse 27 god has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame those who think they're wise and god has chosen the weak things of this world to shame those who think they're mighty and then we kind of ended off last week talking about paul's um, what was going on in Paul's mind as he got to the people of Corinth in Acts 18 and uh, how he's like, I am only going to preach the gospel. I will give no, no, no place for worldly philosophies. I'm not going to try to impress you guys. I will teach the message of the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And in it, the power and the wisdom of God will be seen by the spirits we clarified that last week that when he says 
the demonstration of spirit and power. He's talking about the presentation of the gospel, which reveals not human wisdom, but the wisdom of God, not human strength, but the power of God. Amen. And so we're going to kick off right from that. First Corinthians 2 verse 6. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. So get your Bibles, get your notepads, take good notes. Feel free to ask questions um, either at, during the course of today's teaching or during the course of the week. Are we ready? All right, let's get right into it. First Corinthians 2 verse 6. Paul speaking, it says, let me start from verse 4 and then we go right into it. It says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It is, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Right? So he's, he's saying that, yes, the gospel may not appeal to human wisdom and philosophy, but there is wisdom in the gospel such that those who are saved and mature in the faith can receive the wisdom of God and I, I joked last week that the fact that we can spend three months in the book of Hebrews talking about this same gospel shows that there is wisdom in the gospel and the fact that 10 years later when we get back to Hebrews there will still be a lot more to discuss it shows that indeed the gospel may not appeal to human wisdom, but there is wisdom in the gospel. There is wisdom in the gospel. It says we speak, verse 7, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now people read this and what Paul is not saying is that we speak the wisdom of God in a mysterious manner that is hard to understand. No. If you've been listening time like if you've been listening to this journey or you've been on this journey for a few months, you should already know what mystery means, especially when we looked at Galatians and Ephesians, right? The word mystery is the word mysterion in the Greek and it simply literally translates to silence something that is quiet something that is not known something that is not known and so literally speaking the opposite of mysterious is not um is not necessarily easy to understand right the opposite of mysterion was apocalypsis which is revelation it means to uncover something or to bring it to the light right so what Paul is not saying is that what we speak in God is hard to understand. That's not what he's saying. When he says we speak the wisdom of God, which was hidden in a mystery, he's not saying, oh, the wisdom of God that we're speaking is hard to understand, though, but, you know, we just try our best. And not, no, no, no. And that's why the next, the, literally the next verse is the hidden wisdom. It means something that was, that was concealed, something that was covered. And that's why revelation means to uncover. So what is, he, what is he saying? He's simply saying that the wisdom of God, again, when he talks about the wisdom of God or the power of God so far, like we looked at in verse 4, what is he referring to? The gospel, the message of God's plan 
for salvation through faith in Christ. He's saying that when we speak concerning that, the crucifixion, it is something that was hidden or that was silent, was quiet. Where? Before now, in the Old Testament, in the old days, where people did not exactly know. Well, if they paid attention, you could they would have seen it. And that's why I said it's not that it's hard to understand. It means that it wasn't readily, that information was not readily on the hearts of people. Of course, we still see people like Simeon and Anna in the temple when Jesus was born, saying that through the knowledge of him, salvation will be brought to many. You see Isaiah in 53 talking about the suffering servant, right? So much so that the Ethiopian eunuch is like, is he talking about himself? Or is there someone to come? So all these hints have always been in, in, in the Bible. Genesis 3, right? 15 and 16, he would, he, would, he would bruise, sorry, he would bruise his heel, but he would crush. The serpent would bruise this chosen, or this seed's heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent, showing that there is going to be some suffering involved, right? It, it's been there. The wisdom of God as regards salvation, salvation through him taking on sin, taking on shame, suffering on behalf of his loved ones. It was always there, but it was in a mystery. And like I said, remember that doesn't mean it was hard to understand. It simply means it was quiet. It was quiet. And now in Christ, what we do is that we bring that plan to light. We bring that plan to the forefront. We reveal it. We make it less mysterious. Not by the fact that, oh, it's somehow easier. Even though, yes, there's a sense in which it's easy to understand because it has happened. But the direct implication is that it wasn't in the light until now. Right? And it says that we speak this wisdom, the hidden wisdom which God foreordained. It says which none of the rulers of this age knew. That's the point. They didn't know it. It is for if they had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So you look at, for instance, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, they did not know the wisdom of God. Yes, they had read the Bible. They probably memorized tons and tons of scripture, but they failed to see the wisdom of God. And what Paul is doing in the gospel is making it clear for the Jews. He's revealing that mystery that, oh, what is on that? What, what exactly is God's plan? And saying, let me tell you, this and this and this. Faith in his son, through the death of his son, will bring eternal life. That's all he's saying. And he's saying that these people did know it. The people who crucified Jesus, Peter will say that they did it. They, they weren't aware that they were killing the son of glory, right? That what you people did, you did thinking you were serving God. You did thinking that, oh, this is a threat. This person needs to be stopped. He says, if only you knew, if only you knew, if only you knew, you would not have crucified the son of glory. And then he goes on to say what? But at his, as it is written, I has not seen. High goodness, high miracle, high faith. Love you all. Good to see you. It says, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear hurt, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And that is the point he's passing across. That the fact that people had not seen it, heard it, or thought about it, that is where it's mysterious. Not that it was hard to understand. 
it wasn't in the it was people were not expecting it the plan was always there but it was quiet or as we say it was on the looks it was lucky right that is mystery it was on the looks and then now that jesus has been raised from the dead we announce it we reveal it we make the mysterious plan of god known paul is quoting from isaiah 64 isaiah 64 let's let's go there quickly isaiah 64 i can't <laughs> my faculties want to fail me <laughs> isaiah 64 i'm just joking um um verse let's start from verse 1 and then we'll get to where he's reading and then we'll see why he quotes that verse it says oh that you would rend the heavens isaiah speaking oh that you will come down that the mountains may shake at your presence it says as far burns brushwood as far causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations may tremble at your presence It says when you did awesome things for which we did not look you came down. I'm just reading the whole I'm I'm not currently in verse 3 but just reading down. So that I'm going to explain why um like why Paul can read Isaiah 64 and reflect on what he's saying right now. It says when you did awesome things for which we did not look you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. And now verse 4 is our main emphasis. For since the beginning of the world men have not perceived by the ear known as the, has the eye seen any god besides you who acts for the one who waits for him it says you meet him who rejoices and does righteousness who remembers you in your ways you are indeed angry with all who have sinned in this ways we continue but we are like unclean things all our righteousness like a filthy rag will fade as leaves um and our iniquities have taken us away it says there's no one who calls your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you you've hidden your face from us you've consumed us because of our iniquities but now oh lord you are our father we are the clay and you are our potter and we all are the work of your hand don't be furious nor remember iniquity forever indeed please look we all are your people and so isaiah is talking about his his is almost like a prayer of forgiveness that yes Israel we've messed up Paul is going to use verse 6 to talk extensively about the sin nature in Romans 2 we're going to get there but then he's saying oh Israel we've messed up we've all we've gone away right we've we've um we we've we've sinned we continue to do evil it says in verse 5 we need to be saved and then from verse 1 to 3 it says come down in a sense visit us forgive us deliver us from our enemies and what paul is reflecting on is that whatever god is doing he says that for since the beginning of the world men have not heard nor perceived by the ear nor has the eye seen any god besides you who acts for the one who waits on him right um in in, in an easier to read translation he says for since the world began no ear has heard no eye has seen a god like you who works for those who wait for him and so there's an idea there that whenever god comes to step in or intervene in the people that trust in him right it's it it happens in a strange way you you think of jericho and you're like ah, no one has ever heard a thing like that a nation going through the wilderness just defeating everybody they get to one of the strongest cities in that region and all they did was march around 
right? They, they hear, you, you'd see what Ray have to say, we have heard. We've heard of what your God has done. Oh, he parted the Red Sea, the 10 plagues and all of that. And so that's what Isaiah is reflecting on. That whenever God steps in to intervene for his people, for a sinful people who are trusting in him, who have messed up probably, and are now waiting on him to help them. It says that God has always consistently done it in ways that the world is like, what a God, what a God. And Paul reflects on all of that, right? That think about it in a spiritual sense, it's the same way. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. And we all need the hand of God to deliver us. And that's why he can read verse 4 and now say, really, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you. And so if that's the case, then meaning whatever God is going to do, if God could do things that people had not heard of or, or expected in, Jer- sorry, in Jericho, in the, Red, in the face of the Red Sea, in the time of Hezekiah, in the time of, of, of Je- Jehoiakim or whatever, right? And God is moving in with like, wow, the God of Israel is mighty. How much more? the salvation of the whole world if truly this is a god that no ear has heard meaning that unlike the idols this is a god who is god and does things in ways that when we see them we're like wow what a god how much more salvation that is what paul is reflecting on that's what um, sorry um paul is reflecting on that in this matter of sin and salvation we can confidently say, like Paul would say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It has not entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. Does that make sense? This is actually how to read the Old Testament, by the way. We've talked about that, right? One of the things we do in the epistles is we're able to better appreciate some of these texts. Does Isaiah 64 make sense? Thumbs up. Hi, boy. it's good to see you. Let me see. I hope I didn't lose anyone. Thumbs up if it makes sense. Do you want me to go over it again? <laughs> I should, okay. Yes, please. Like, I should go over it again. <laughs> All right. Okay. It makes sense to some. Some say it's a big... So... All right. Cool. <laughs> That's totally understandable. Y'all are running on three hours of sleep. But... What I just said was in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is about to explain that there is wisdom in the gospel, right? I believe that's clear. We're going to look at that. And then he goes on to say that this wisdom, this plan of God was once mysterious. What does that mean? It was once hidden. It was quiet. In the Old Testament, unless you look through the lens of christ you would have missed it that's why just to say fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had said ought not christ he says beginning at moses and then all, all the all the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of scripture right it took an explanation it took a revelation if you remember um the teaching i did i can't remember what part it is you can scroll up for those listening um honor for the written word part one i explained this in greater detail how what we do now is we are unpacking 
all that God has already said since the Old Testament. We looked at Galatians, righteousness by faith. Um, all It was since Abraham. Since Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed since the beginning. Right? And so that's what he's saying, that right now we speak the wisdom of God, in a, which was once hidden. Right? We make it known. We declare it clearly for all to understand. And it says that this is something that the rulers of this age did not know because if they had understood the wisdom of God and God's plan of salvation, they would not have killed Jesus. It says, but as it is written. So his point is that it is, it is, it is expected that they did not know. Why? Because whenever God has stepped in to intervene on on. Um, in the lives of those who trust him, who wait on him, who maybe are in some form of trouble because of sin and whatnot, who are being oppressed. Whenever we see God in a sense, come down, oh Lord, and manifest your power, right? It has always been such that people would say, what kind of God is this? This is a God that has not, it's not a God any human wisdom or mind could have conjured up. It is a God who is indeed God, such that we can, you'd say, oh, I has not seen, ear has not heard, what has, um, or it has not entered into the heart of man, what God does or how God acts on behalf of those who wait on him. And I said, Paul is not just picking random verses to form a teaching. No, you can imagine Paul is reading through the book of Isaiah and he gets to chapter 64, which we just went through. And I said, when you read Isaiah 64, and maybe you can still take out time to read it again after today, or rather after today's teaching, right? Um, is that he starts by saying, Lord, we need you to intervene, right? We need you to come and step into this, this oppression, right? And then he says what? He, he goes on to verse 4 to 5. I'm going to get there. But then he says, he, he talks about the reason they even need God to intervene in the first place. We've all sinned. Of course, there is a direct implication for Isaiah's time where because Israel has messed up, because Israel has rejected God, rejected the law, God has handed them over to their enemies. All right? And so in that point in time, there is a faithful remnant there who are like, God, we've messed up. But have mercy on us. We need you to once again deliver your people, Israel. And what Isaiah is saying is that for since the beginning of the world, in verse 4, men have not perceived by the air, not seen any God besides you. That in your, in, in your character to constantly deliver your people, it is in a way that we've never, we, we, don't, we don't expect it. So whether it's, whether it's delivering Israel from Egypt, whether it's bringing them through the Red Sea, whether it's sustaining them in the wilderness, whether it's the conquering of, of, of Canaan, whether it's how he has constantly delivered them from their enemies time and time again. Four kings are rising up again. The next thing, just kill themselves. Stuff like that. It says that we have not seen a God like you. Isaiah's point is simple. When we expect God to intervene, on behalf of his suffering people, he reminds us that indeed he is God, not man. And so he has constantly revealed that in a way that we don't, it's not something human wisdom can bring up. That is what Paul is reflecting on when he reads Isaiah 64. Hi, fair, hi, excel, so good to see you. And so he brings that back 
to his teaching on the revelation of the gospel. And he's simply saying that when it comes to God's plan, just like Israel, we all human beings, Jews, Gentiles, we've sinned. We need God to step in. And the same way Israel could always expect those who at least waited on him could expect God to show himself as God in a way that human wisdom could never have predicted. Paul is saying it's the same thing with the gospel. It's the same thing with the gospel that in his decision to save the world through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, this is and again, God has stepped in, delivered his people, but is in a way that when we th- when we see it, we're like, I has not seen. He has not heard. It's not something that we were expecting. That how will God destroy evil once and for all? He will die. Like, ah, indeed. Indeed, the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of the So that's what Paul is pretty much saying. Does that make better sense? Let me know if it makes sense. Let me know if it makes sense. All right, perfect. Um, Amaka, does it make sense? This is the only privilege or one of the privileges of being here live. You can ask me to go by it again. <laughs> if it's podcast, you have to you have to rewind and you will play it, play it, play it. It must, it must make sense. <laughs> All right, so do are we clear? So that's what Paul is reflecting on. He looks at Isaiah 64 and is like, yes, indeed. The gospel is yet not an exception. That when it comes to the way God has delivered his people from sin and oppression, it says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. All of a sudden, you are starting to see that maybe I should not have been just quoting this verse anyhow, anyhow, anyhow. (laughs) Um, The thing God has prepared for those who love him. But it's still valid and it, it reveals what Isaiah talked about, what Paul is reflecting on, it's still something that reveals the nature of God. That whenever he steps in on behalf of his people, you can expect him to be God. You can expect him to be God. Whether it's in the physical deliverance of Israel from their enemies or the spiritual deliverance of the whole world from sin and death, we can expect him to be God. And so there is a sense in which you might apply this, right, and say, God, even in this difficult situation in my life, I trust you to step in. I trust you to resolve it in a way that I'm like, wow, thank you, God. That is how to get the meaning of a passage and apply it. This is not just saying, oh, God is about to bless you in such a way that I has not seen. You might be right if you understand what you're saying. (laughs) Right? But I hope it makes sense. It says... But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. And that is the emphasis of today's, oh, sorry, of this passage, this particular part. Let me say today's teaching. I plan for us to make some distance, to cover some ground today. It says, so even though, yes, these, this, is, this is it. It says, but God has revealed those things that I has not seen, that he has not heard or have entered into the hearts of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. It says, God has revealed it. God's plan. Remember, the idea is still what? What was once the hidden mystery of God has been revealed in the gospel. That's that's the summary of all we've been talking about since last week. And he's saying what? God has revealed it how? Through his spirit. 
Do you now see another reason why in verse 4, the demonstration of the Spirit would most likely refer to what? The message. Do you see that? (laughs) Right? It says, God has revealed these things that eye has not seen, that ear has not heard, that has not entered into the heart of man. He's revealed it through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. And so, here we see that oneness where there is there is unity between God and the Spirit. But there's also a distinction where the Spirit of God is revealing the will and the wisdom of God the Father. And so these are earlier hints of what we come to know as the Trinity, right? You never see that word in the Bible, oh, the Trinity. But all through Scripture, in the operation of God, in His nature, we've const- in His revelation to mankind. We've seen it as God in three persons. God in three persons. And so here he's saying what? The Spirit of God knows the intentions of God. And for anyone who has received that Spirit, they can see the wisdom of God. What would otherwise be mysterious? Remember what that means. So I'm using that word carefully. I hope you understand what that means. What would otherwise be mysterious to the natural man? What would otherwise be mysterious to the unbeliever? To the one who has the spirit, it is revealed. It is revealed. That's the word what? Apocalypto. Taking off. What was once hidden in the spirit, it's taking off. It's taking off. Amen. So... Um, It says, for what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man, which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God, except the spirit of God. And what Paul is simply saying, he's using an analogy, right? The analogy, pay attention, because whenever analogies are are being used, he's not saying that... um, the same way, oh, my, my, my consciousness knows what I'm thinking. No one can read my mind except me, <laughs> right? So in a sense, there is a me, Daniel, but there is a Daniel that can read, that, that, can, that knows what Daniel is thinking. D- does that make sense? It might not make sense, but practically we, we think about that every way. You can think about the fact that you're thinking. You know that, right? You can say, oh, right now I'm thinking about this. As I'm seeing this person, this is what, I'm, this is what I really feel even though I might be a hypocrite and say something different, that kind of idea. And no one knows what you are thinking except you, (laughs) right? So in that sense, he's saying the same way that it is the spirit of God that knows exactly what God is thinking. That when God says, you know what? I don't know if you've seen that meme. I love that meme so much. That guy that's like, I'll do this, then I'll do this, and I'll do this, and at the end, I'll be the richest man. There were all those kind of things. So God is like, you know what? Man has messed up. I'll do this, I'll do this, Christ will come, this and this will happen, and then, bam, the world is saved, right? That is God's intention. All through Abraham, all through Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the judges, that was God's plan. That was God's plan. But the same way I can be, let's say you're, you're trying to set P, right? You have a plan. No one can read your mind. You know why you sent that message you really do not <laughs> you have ulterior motive but you know so everything you are doing is working towards that motive that one day this girl will say yes <laughs> right that is your plan and no one knows except but you are dropping hints here and there that if they can see they say ah, 
It's like this is your this is your plan. Is it? I don't I didn't get. Oh okay, yeah. what did you eat? Exactly. You don't really care what exactly. You don't really care what did you do today? You don't really care. <laughs> you have you have a plan that only in quotes your spirit knows. And the same way you look at the operations of God in the Old Testament, it was more than just oh i just want israel to occupy canaan it was more than that it was more than oh i just i just like these people in the middle east it was more than that god had a plan and yes if you can trace his operation since the beginning of time you will see it it is it is mysterious in the sense it was it wasn't clear he had not said i like you <laughs> he hadn't made it clear right but it was there And so what he's saying is that no one knows God's intended goal or what God was working out except the spirit of God. And through the spirit because we have the spirit we can see that oh this is what God wants to do or this is what God has done. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So that's why it says now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is up from god that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by god and that's the idea now that i have the spirit of god is like saying i can i have the ability to give faith something that she can tell what i'm thinking all of a sudden i just become clearer there's nowhere to hide and it's not as, as though god was hiding from humanity We've talked about that a bit. We're going to talk about that a lot more as we go on to talk about revelation. But I've talked about this in Ephesians 3, how in the wisdom and the timing of God, he what we call progressive revelation. Imagine if God just told Abraham, "You know what? There's sin nature. You know the whole world is and my goal is to one day send a son who will be crucified so that this 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 Abraham was just like, "What?" <laughs> he could, he probably couldn't have even understood or he's like, "What what what?" So all God would tell Abraham leave your father's house in you in your seed all the nations of the world will be blessed just take that one that's like what did you do today <laughs> just take that one a few years down the line moses will come he'll say what lead my children to the promised land lead my children to the promised land and say i would raise up someone like you this is when that person comes listen to him that is oh what are you doing this friday <laughs> That is that that's it. Few years down the line, Isaiah will come and you say what? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder and they are starting to see okay. It's like God 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 has agenda. God 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 has a plan. <laughs> he's setting up, <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. That now we've received the spirit of God and we can know the things that have been freely given to us by God. In the spirit of God is the revelation of God's divine plan. In the spirit of God, you can write that down. Is quotable quotes is the revelation of God's divine plan. And that's what he goes on to talk about verse 13 that these are the things we speak about, not necessarily in words which man's wisdom teaches because like we've talked about what how god steps in 
is not in a way that man's wisdom would have conjured up. Nothing in man's wisdom can explain why marching around a wall seven times brings the wall down. Nothing in man's wisdom would explain why by putting blood on your on your doorpost you are delivered from death. But we have the spirit of God. We understand. We know what it truly meant. Amen. Amen. So it says not in words which man's wisdom teaches. Again, just like I talked about last week, a good way is a lot of times we we've spent so much time in the faith that we 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 forget how unreasonable to a natural man our our faith is. I, I talked about it at length last week. If you haven't listened to last week's teaching, please do. But again, even the same way, if you think about proper biblical study, like if you are attending a Bible study, you hesitate to bring an unbeliever because yourself you know. That chances are this guy will be like, what are these people talking? Imagine if since the beginning of today till now, there's an old like, what are these people actually talking about? <laughs> like, spirit of a man, no spirit, guys has not seen. Like, what, what is going on here? <laughs> what is going on here? And so he's saying that that we we reveal, we speak as in, <laughs> honestly. It's always explaining charismatic ministry to you, and you're like, ah. What is this Christians? What, what is going on? What is going on? At least Buddha is telling us this and this and this to have practical relevance in our world today. But these Christians, they are they are on something. No? You say, oh, blood. The blood was the lamb. The lamb is the cross. Moses raised serpent. The same way they looked at the serpent is the same way we look at Christ. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> what is wrong with these people? So. It says we speak not in the words which we are actually on something. I we are gone. <laughs> and we're going to get there. Literally, that's the next verse, right? That's the idea. So that's that's the flow of thoughts. Paul, this is how to read the Bible so that you are you so you can understand, you can even predict what is coming because you are in the context, you understand what Paul is actually talking about. It says, which man's wisdom teaches, but no, not with which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches so it says comparing spiritual things with spiritual or to help you understand the way the nlt will put it using spiritual words to explain spiritual truths or communicating spiritual realities to spiritual people the idea there is that through the spirit of god right we can communicate what god has revealed to us through his spirit we can communicate not with man's wisdom but with the wisdom of the spirits with the wisdom of the spirit such that those who also have the spirit can receive what we are communicating and that's why he goes on to say in verse 14 that the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of god why it no makes sense he says they have foolishness to him so on one hand he can't receive it he hears it and is like what what, what is going on what is going on and on another hand, he can't even know it. He can't truly understand what it because why? It is only understood in the spirit of God. It's, it's only understood in the spirit of God. It's only understood in the spirit of God. We're, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, one of my best chapters in the entire Bible. It says, How be it the veil is taken off when it shall turn to the Lord? 
It says, till this day, there is a veil that lies on the hearts of many Jews upon the reading of Moses. They don't, they don't get it, right? You don't get it, forget about it. They don't get it. It says, however, when they look to Jesus, when they what? Receive the spirit. That's what it means, right? You get saved. When you receive the spirit, it says, that veil, that inability to see God's plan in the law is taken away. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What is it talking about? There is, there is the ability to finally understand God's revealed view. We're going to get there. That's 2 Corinthians. We're, not, we're months away from there. <laughs> but hope it makes sense. He's simply saying that a natural man cannot understand spiritual truths. Cannot, cannot discern spiritual truths. Because why? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And that's why even in the preaching of the gospel, it's called what the demonstration of the spirit. Because when the gospel is preached, the power of God is made available to, 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 to expose, if you want to put it that way, the plan of God. The spirit of God is at work in the heart of the listener. That if they can just yield, everything opens up. Everything opens up. Amen. Does that make sense? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Any questions? Anything? We're not clear on. All right. Cool. 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 Questions after. All right. It says, however, he who is spiritual, he judges all things. The word judge is the word anakrino in the Greek and means what? to scrutinize, to examine. You can look at it and say, this is this, this is that. This is real, this is fake. This is gold, this is silver, right? That's what it means to judge. It says that the, the, the natural man cannot receive, cannot understand what God is doing. It says, but the one who is spiritual, the one who has the spirits, the one who is of the spirits, the one who um who who has received like verse 12 says receive the spirit from god it says it judges all things again what does all things mean put it in the chat i don't think this will even take a while well, what is all things do you judge math are you all of a sudden fit to to fly a rocket to the moon because you are spiritual what is all things what is all things let, let, let's hear it put it in the chat Okay, the truth of the gospel. Okay. Okay. Any any other any other um who wants to say something slightly different or spiritual things? Yes. So the truth of the gospel is slightly narrow, spiritual things really broad. Yes, that yes. But what does spiritual things mean? What do spiritual things mean? The answer is in verse 10. Well, yes, what Jesus taught, but more specifically, ex the things of God. What does that mean? All that God has communicated to mankind. All that was once, exactly like Buki said, all that was once mysterious, hidden. The person who is spiritual, the person who is who has the spirit, understands God's 
plans and purposes, understands God's will, right? So yes, the truth of the gospel, yes, spiritual things, yes, what Jesus taught, the things of God, right? He understands all that was once, the things that a natural man cannot understand, all that pertains to the plans and purposes of God, of course, revealed in Christ, revealed in Christ, right? It says, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And it's the same idea, right? That a natural man will not, that's why Jesus said like this, the wind blows where it lists that no one knows where it's coming from, where it's going. The same way with a spiritual man, you know, really makes sense anymore. People are like, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? What are your motivations? Who exactly are you? The world looks at us and thinks that we are either the same or we're just following just another religion or we are crazy people. We are behind the times. We are, we are closed-minded and whatnot, right? Or someone can look at you. You make a decision to give up this, to follow Christ. And they're like, ah, they don't get it. That's what he says. He says, a person who has the spirit of God, the same way a natural man cannot understand or discern God's plans and purposes, the same way they will not be able to understand or discern your own actions, thoughts, plans, and responses. Amen. Hi, Bukum. Very good to see you. Um, that's the idea, right? That he who is spiritual, he's able to receive, understand what God is doing. However, he's rightly judged by no one. And no one doesn't mean no one can understand. You say, ah, no one can know me. I'm spiritual. <laughs> That's not, if no one does that, you have, a, you have a bad attitude. You have bad behavior. That's not, that's not what they say. Say, ah, why do you say, you can't understand. Just, just leave it like that. That's how I am. You can't, I'm, no one can rightly judge me. <laughs> You're not okay. <laughs> that's not what he's saying. Because we, we have the spirit. We can judge. That's why as believers, we can judge one another. Paul is going to ask us to do it in verse five. Right. If you have the spirit of God and I have the spirit of God and you act contrary to that, that, that spirit we both share, I can't judge you. I can ah, say, oh, God, you are not acting like yourself. We're going to see that in the very next verse, the very next chapter. What he's simply saying is that the same way natural man, right, cannot properly understand the plans and purposes of God. It's the same way they can't, they can't connect with the believer who has lived his life in response to that revealed plan. That's all he's saying. For he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? It says, but we have the mind of Christ. So what is the mind of Christ? With what we've just read in verse 11, with what I've talked about, about reading, what is the mind of Christ? What is the mind of Christ? What does verse 16 mean? Let's 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 see it in the chat. What is the mind of Christ? Exactly. Exactly. And what will it then mean to have the mind of Christ? Does that mean that I can't forget in my exam? <laughs> I mean I every exam I write, I pass because I have the mind of Christ. Glory to God. What, 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 what does it mean practically to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean? What does it mean? Except you're spot on. It's the spirit, right? But what does it mean? Exactly. It means I understand 
I understand what God is doing. I can understand how God is moving in my time. I can understand the plans and the purposes of God. That's what it means. Because the same spirit in the heart of God, like I said, if 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 I put if there was a way that faith had access to know everything I'm thinking about, it we said faith has the mind of Daniel, right? She has my spirit. And so if I do something, she said, knowing Daniel, this is probably what he's trying to do. Oh, you said Daniel, ah, knowing Daniel, this is what he meant. That's what he means, right? You understand. And when he says we have the mind of Christ, from all we've just read, he's simply saying because we have the spirit of God, because we have the spirit of God, we can look at the gospel and say, this is what God was trying to do. Or this is what God has done. He quotes Isaiah 40 verse 13. Let's go there. Let's go there. Again, we're going to look at another Old Testament verse and read, okay, why does Paul read that? and then reflect on on and, and then read from there right so it says um let's start from verse 12 isaiah 40 verse 12 who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand measured heaven with his span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure who has weighed the mountains in scales and hills in a balance he's just talking about the greatness of god he says who has directed the spirit of god or as his counselor who has taught him? In whom did he take counsel? Who instructed him? I mean, verse 14. Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge? Who taught him the way of understanding? Paul is not saying he's also. Did you now realize, hey, I'm the one. It's me that... <laughs> Something is wrong. But what he's saying is that we can understand... Yes, Isaiah is talking about the greatness of God. Who can, who can understand him? Who can instruct, who can instruct him rather? Who can say, oh God, this is what you should do in this scenario? And while yes, no one can say that, but because we now share of his spirit, because we now share of his spirit, we can understand what he has done. We can look at what he has done and see the wisdom behind it. Man of God, pray, I celebrate you, sir. See me after service. <laughs> we can understand what God has done. We can look at it and say, yes, this makes sense. When God said, oh, wow, this is why Jesus had to die. Oh, wow. In this crucifixion, we see the wisdom of God. In the death of Jesus, we see the power of God. Oh, now it makes sense. Why just by believing, I identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. The natural man is like, ah, <laughs> what do you mean? You just believe. I believe. I believe. Now, I have the Holy Spirit. So where did he come from? At what point did you receive the, you are the same, the same person that walked into this meeting is the same person that I say, no, I've been changed. They lay hands on you and you're like, wow, I'm stirred up for ministry. I like, the natural man is like, eh, really? They just touch your head. You are stirred up for ministry. You're not okay. But you're like, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. Why? You don't have the mind of Christ. That's all Paul is talking about. I want to challenge you. Maybe your, your assignment, action point number one today, just think about what we do as Christians. Maybe you've not sat down to really, 
if you are not saved and you are looking at a Christian meeting, for instance, or you're li- listening to a Christian teacher, a lot of things will not make sense. A lot of things. A lot of things. <laughs> they touch your head. They, they, they touch your head. Ah. <laughs> it says, oh, by this time, prophecy. It says, oh, this is what the Lord is saying. This year is a year of, like, what is wrong with this Christian? Every year is a year of something. Year of movement. Year of glory. Year of... The- <laughs> The years are the same, blah, blah, blah. And like, you don't get it. You don't understand that God is moving. God is doing that. And we have the mind so we can understand what he's doing. Amen. 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 All right. First Corinthians chapter three, what I actually plan to teach today. <laughs> so let's start. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. I love this chapter and I'm excited. I really am. I remember I was I was actually just studying this and I was like, wow, I love it. I love it so much. So it says, and I brethren. So if a chapter starts with and, basic grammar rules should let you know that don't forget what we've just talked about. That yes, it may be chapter three, but imagine if you open your Bible, you've not read We've literally spent over four hours, four hours, like, yeah, about four hours talking about 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. And then you just wake up one morning and say, and, ah. <laughs> That's not how to read your Bible. That's not how to read your Bible. Amen. Right? I, I, I recommend usually that you should never start any book of the Bible midway, unless maybe, maybe, Maybe you just want to re- remind yourself of a certain chapter. Maybe you've just you've read it so much that you still have a vague idea of the context. Otherwise, you really should not. How can you just open Galatians and you're starting from chapter three? Ephesians, you just start from chapter four. Therefore, that's that's what you are saying. So this is what the Lord has to tell me today. You're a fraud, though, because you don't know anything that has been said. Chapter one, two, and three, and you just there. How can you start with therefore? The same way here, you can't just start with and. All he has said so far is what? What have we talked about? What is the theological perspective Paul is bringing to the issue of division? It's that what? Number one, in the gospel is the wisdom and the power of God, not in man. Number two, only through the spirit do we see the wisdom and the power of God. In the flesh, you would never understand what God is trying to do. And so it makes no sense to glory in human wisdom. Don't forget that's where we started from. Where people are like, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Peter. And in all of this, it had nothing to do with the gospel. Maybe it was eloquence. Maybe or they had other teachers, right? Oh, I like this guy. I, I like the way he talks. I like, no. And he's saying what? That it is in and through the spirit that God's will is communicated. And so all it takes is for a person full of the spirit to help you grow in the will of God. If you are looking for a man full of natural wisdom, a man full of eloquence, a man who, who, who by the standard of this world is full of wisdom and power, Paul's point is what? You will miss God. So don't let that be your standard. That's all he's been talking about. And now he says, and I brethren... So yes, I've just said that a spiritual man can receive the things of God. It takes the spirit to understand the will of God. It takes a spiritual man to understand what God, and that spiritual man cannot be judged by the world. 
But it says what? And I, brethren, I could not speak to you like that spiritual person. It says, after everything I've just said, I can't talk to you that way. You have the spirit of God, yes. But I cannot, I can't, I can't talk to you. So, for instance, and we're going to see this practically, actually. Let's say human, let's say you are fighting with someone and someone says walking. I, I, I put up a post on WhatsApp um, sometime this week. It was, it was just strong on my heart. That as believers, walking in the spirit is the best advice you would ever receive as pertaining to human relationships. A man of this world will say, ah, it's not practical, Joe. Doesn't apply. <laughs> you don't understand. Or something like, but no. You have the spirit of God. You see things different. I can tell you, walk in the spirit. Oh, do what God would have done here. Do what God would have. That's how to talk to a spiritual person. Right? You appeal to the fact that you have the Holy Ghost. You see things differently. So you can act differently where a natural man would have done otherwise. But Paul comes and says, like I just said, I said all that to say this. I can't talk to you that way. I could have talked to you in this whole division matter and I should have just talked to you as spiritual people that you should not even have this problem in the first place. But it says what? I can't speak to you that way. It says I can't speak to you as to spiritual, meaning as to people who have the spirit of God and live off that revelation, who respond to God's revealed plans and purposes. It says I can't talk to you that way. But I can only talk as to carnal, meaning what? People who are ruled by the flesh. People who are natural. Now, the question is, these are Christians. Are they carnal? The answer is yes and no. In identity, the Christian is not carnal. Why? Because what, what have we talked about just in the last verse? Those who have received the Spirit of God understand can understand the revealed will of the will of god right because the spirit is the revealer actually but in identity yes you can be carnal but in conduct sorry in identity the believer is spiritual rather the believer is not carnal but in conduct there can be that gap there can be that gap that's why we looked at galatians 5 walk in the spirit this is someone who already has the spirit says walking you've received the spirit walk in it or walk in him right so that's why he's saying that i couldn't speak to you as people who had the spirit of god i had to talk to you as people who were still natural he says as to babes or babies so that the babes in the house will not be angry say ah, am i not a babe ah. <laughs> as to babies in christ as to babies in christ and that tells us two things number one it tells us that a believer full of the spirit can be carnal. And that's unfortunate. We're going to read on to, to see what that looks like. That's very unfortunate. But not only that, it also now tells us that Christianity is a call to growth. Why? Because he says as to babes in Christ, meaning if you are truly babes in Christ, then it's expected. There are certain things I would expect because why? You're still babies. You're still growing in your faith. There are things I would forgive you. There are things that would help you with time. But many years down the line, after two years of discipleship from Paul, you have done Bible school. You're still acting like this. He says, no, this one, you're no longer a babe. You're just carnal. We read the exact same thing in Hebrews 5. The author of Hebrews had the same concern for the Hebrew audience. He says, 
of whom I have many things to say, and they are hard to explain. Again, so we see a desire to reveal, to explain, to compare spiritual with spiritual, right? We have, we both have the spirit of God. I should be able to explain these things to you. It says, but you've become dull of hearing. It says, for by now, do you see, by this time, you spent a certain length in the faith. You ought to be teachers. Hebrews 5 verse 12, by this time, meaning if it was when I first came to you, right? Okay, two months in, no wala, I won't, we'll take our time. It says, but by now, you ought to be teachers. Paul is saying it by now, you ought to be spiritual. It says, but you still need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And the same way Paul says what? Babes. The author of Hebrews uses the exact same analogy. He says, you still need milk, not solid food. Meaning what? You are still acting like babies. And so, yes, you are two months into the faith. Okay, then you fail the exam. God, why me? But if you are 10 years in the faith, and you're like, does God love because something bad? Like, ah, uh-uh. are you not spirit? Why are you acting like a babe at, at your age? <laughs> the same way they... Um, your, your, my parents say, Agbaya, at your age, you are still dragging certain things. At your age, with all you've seen in God, you are still doubting his love. Ha. Ah. Ah. There's a problem. <laughs> I remember then in school, in our, let's say, especially in our 100 level, then our first year of college, or our freshman year of college. <laughs> and Let's say people were fervent. They will come for all the service unit meetings. They will be, oh, I love the Lord. Alpha semester, so their first semester, the fall semester, they get their results. Two carryovers, three Cs, one A, TMC Sports. <laughs> if you're not in C, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about it. And they're like, ah, God, did I not serve you, Lord? How can you do this to me? And then they come back in January. Like, our oh, brother, <laughs> we have prayer meetings. I have to go to the library. I have to read. You're a liar. <laughs> You're playing FIFA. I say, brother, ah, it's time for evangelism. You know what? I'm not really feeling like it. <laughs> I'm not feeling like it anymore. You're a babe. You're a babe in Christ. Did you, did you, well, fortunately... There's a way to treat babies. You treat them with care. You help them grow. But if after we have served the Lord together, imagine, let's say, prayer comes to tell me, ah, you know, Daniel, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't get this thing I was hoping for. I don't want to serve God again. I will not talk to him as a baby. I won't talk to him as someone who is one month in the faith. That oh, you know, you need to learn that about God. He loves you. You know this and that i will still talk to a baby that way that even in hard times you can trust the love of god you know count it all joy if it's prayer i'll slap him i say are you are you okay <laughs> what do you mean by that I've, see how far we've come you are saying this one did not ah, ah. <laughs> it's something it's some, do you get my point it says i could not speak to you as to spiritual but as to carnal so pay attention to that. I, so I, I, I highlighted two instances. On one instance, as someone who is growing in the word, it's the, it's, it's the responsibility of both you and people around you to patiently help you grow to stature, to maturity in Christ, because everyone started from spiritual babyhood, in quotes. But then there's a sense in which, after a certain level of training, 
in the faith discipleship there are things we should not expect of you anymore there are things we should not expect. oh me I, i will actually slap him physically i will not if it was if he tell you <laughs> are you okay <laughs> so i don't think i want to do ministry again. eh what do you mean we have come too far we can't talk. there's no going there's no it's one way one way trip we can't return so but as a as a mature believer there are certain things we should not expect of you anymore so that I'll be like no I'm like don't how can you talk like that you're not a child you're not a child you can't tell me oh because this happened god doesn't I said no now you've taught romans 8 can anything separate us what are you saying what are you saying so there there's a way to address it be an agbaya agbaya in the faith <laughs> that's what we we'll call you you're an agbaya you don't know your age <laughs> amen so be careful about that grow grow really grow don't be carnal it says i fed you with milk the exact same um, phrase of the hebrew teacher i fed you with milk and not solid food it says for until now you are not able to receive it so yes as a teacher i can discern what state you are or as a pastor i should be able to say okay this person still needs to grow i can help you grow but you shouldn't stay there it says but until now you are not able to receive it even now you are still not able you are still not able we should be able to see as a believer you advancing in the things of god whether it's in doctrine whether it's in devotion whether it's in charisma in conduct we should be able to see that progression that yes you are becoming more and more regulated by the spirit more and more like christ even in the practical aspects of your life that is christianity else you are carnal it says for you are still carnal verse 3 and now look at what he says i love verse 3 so much It's a verse that has stuck to my mind since the first time I read it maybe sometime in 100 level or so. It says you are still carnal. It says where there is envy. So he's about to explain their carnality. Don't forget. These are people who he just commended in chapter 1 as abounding in spiritual gifts. Abounding in spiritual gifts. It says you are still carnal. You are still carnal. They were a praying church. <laughs> Amen. They are all praying in tongues. They praying church. It says you are carnal. It says where there is envy look at the things he starts to describe you are jealous of one another there's strife eh? i don't like the way i don't i don't want to i don't like the way this brother it says there's division among you it says are you not carnal and behaving like mere men that last phrase it hit me it changed my life i kid you not there are few verses i can say things that they change the way i He says you are behaving like mere men and so there's an expectation that as a believer You shouldn't behave like you are a normal human being. <laughs> We've just talked about it. Look at what the NLT says. It says you are jealous of one another, you quarrel one another. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? I wouldn't phrase it that way. I don't like that phrasing because of Romans, but anyways, let's let that slide. It says, "Aren't you living like people of this world? Aren't you living like people of this world?" There's an expectation as a believer that that should not be your story we are not like mere men think about it as a believer our responses to situations is not the way the world would respond i'm going to probably slowly end on this because it's something that it's it's really it's important it's very important it's very important As a believer there's a, there's an expectation on the way you are to behave. 
there's a Christian way to act. How can you say, forget Bible? This is real life. This should flog you. And I mean it literally. This should, this should flog you. You're not buyer. And yes, I'm not perfect by any regard, but this is the standard we should hold ourselves to. That as we mature in the faith, there should be a clear distinction in our behavior and the, and, 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 and the behavior of the world. Amen. Like I said, this is a church that was just praised for utterance and knowledge. They spoke in tongues. They had the gifts. Yet, in their conduct, they were lacking. They met regularly. They prayed regularly. But these were issues that weren't being addressed. Their love work. Nobody talked about it. Everyone was just doing anyhow. People were, oh, uh, Paul's Society of the Christian Congregation. Peter's International. I am for Apollos alone. And like I said, I've, I've talked a lot about what that really meant. Because if it's over doctrine, then there's a valid reason to divide. We're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 11. But this had nothing to do with doctrine. This was just, oh, I just like Paul. I just like Paul. And so, because of the prestige that comes from associating with Paul, you start to look down on believers who are being discipled by Apollos. Bad behavior. Bad. You are carnal. Or one person starts to envy another. Ah, this guy flows in the gifts way more than I am. More, more than I do. It's the only gift. <laughs> you are carnal. Where there's strife. Oh, uh, brother, this. He forgot to do this. Or when we walked into other, he stepped on me and he didn't even apologize. And I know he did it intentionally. You, you are carnal. You are carnal. You are carnal. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I, I was listening to um, a teaching this week, um, I think Building Blocks of Effective Relationship by um, Pastor Anoinka. And it blessed me because it reminded me of some of these things that I, I hope to discuss today. And there is, there is a way as a believer we ought to behave. We ought to behave. Few things will reveal the maturity of a believer than their practice of Christianity. Your ability to love people. Your ability to forgive. To be selfless. Seeing things from other people's perspectives. I put it on my story that I said, uh, if I got my birthday, I don't like it. Calm down now. Maybe they wanted to kill him at work. He didn't ask. It's only, oh, me. It's me. It's me. He did this to me. She did this to me. They made me feel like this. Oh, in this church, I don't feel welcome. I don't feel loved. <laughs> what have you brought to the church? What have you contributed? It's only you. The church exists to serve you. They owe you. You are now at the right hand of the Father. So the church must serve you as well. Calm down. Calm down. They say, please don't forget my birthday. You too, don't forget. Yes, like I, like I posted, don't forget other people's birthdays. But <laughs> like I said, few things will... Ref- it will sh- Christian maturity is in these little things. The ability to trust God in difficult situations. Like the example I gave. Yes, something bad happens. But all of a sudden, you're no more growing. You're no more interested in ministry. Don't cover it with, oh, I'm an emotional person. I need time to heal. You know, God... Und- no, no, no. I can understand from someone who is still learning the love of God. But after you've ex- we've, we've come this far, you can't be behaving this way. You can't be. You can't be. Things like staying separate from the world. 
you are like things like materialism low-key your only goal in this life is to blow you used to hide it under kingdom sponsorship i mean kingdom finance yeah you just want to blow <laughs> just want to blow and you should check it it's it's not the spirit of god the way you guard your heart those little things that is what reveals christian maturity that's what reveals christian maturity i'm, I'm currently reading a book um church of cowards by matt walsh and man i actually think that's the harshest book i've ever read and i was reading a chapter this week he was talking about like um christian like sorry entertainment and social media and this and how it relates to the christian and i it just got me thinking i i just took some time to think and i'm like he has a huge point i was talking with some of my friends as well um i don't know if some of you know pastor nelson he also did this pop culture thing we talked about some of those things that as a believer most of your life now you are spent social media watching series watching movies and all they teach you if you are being honest is to act in the flesh is to act like a mere man and now you wonder why two days later someone does something to you and your first response is to do like what you've just seen on instagram <laughs> not what the word says not what the word says and you're wondering why do i have issues with being selfish check the check what comes you you think oh I'm, i'm just chilling you know i'm just scrolling through my feed it's doing something it's doing something to your mind it's doing something to your mind yes that's what makes it unfortunate it's usually subconscious I, I, i was thinking about this I, i shared it with um a few of my friends and i, I during that same session I, i i read a post about the dangers of pornography and all of that and it's valid right um how it 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 ruins so we can say what are the three major things that pornography does for instance number one it stirs up desires that should otherwise not be there at least not at that time number two it makes you disillusioned with reality so it gives you false expectations such that you are never satisfied and i'm like yes porn is dangerous porn is bad look at the sexual damage it has caused to many lives and look see how serious the believer is if if my brother tells me ah, i'm struggling with pornography I'm like ah let's pray let's do this let's do that but i thought about it i'm like loki as christians we actually do very similar things it might it might not be sexual but i believe many believers we are, we are watching porn <laughs> let me put it in that harsh way because it might take that kind of ridiculous statement for you to get the gravity of what i'm saying So for instance you watch a series of people who constantly waste money in a lavish lifestyle all they do is they are buying a yacht they are buying wine they are buying clothes they are buying this they are buying that they are throwing money around like oh i just i just enjoy watching people spend their money that's your excuse but like what i just said think about the effects of porn on sexuality and think about the effect of that on materialism it's the same thing right number one it stirs up greed it stirs up a desire that should not be there number two, it makes it you would never be satisfied it's an unrealistic expectation because how many of you would ever have that kind of wealth so if that's what you are constantly feeding your mind how different are you from the person who is sexually corrupting himself but yours is just in a different area we don't think about it like that and i was just like wow wow we don't think about it like that 
You don't think about it like that. In the area of conduct or greed or romance, you watch a movie that you you continually watch movies or listen to songs that present a wrong view of romantic love and you're wondering why in your relationships you're having issues. It's the same thing, the same way a person who has exposed his mind to porn all his life would have problems in sexuality in marriage or in whatever relationship they are. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. You've exposed your mind to false narratives and it's going to come back to haunt you. We are not like mere men. We are not like mere men. So as a believer, you should always be on guard. Any, any source of information that subconsciously or consciously tries to make you act like the world, you should wake up. You should be on guard like, okay, I will not let this make me a normal person. A normal person. As a believer, there's a way I see money that the world does not see. As a believer, there's a way I see friendships that the world necessarily does not see. As a believer, there's a way I see love and relationships, marriage, that the world does not see. There's a way I see sexuality or sex that the world necessarily... And because of that, I will do everything to guard that narrative. That is a spiritual person. That's a spiritual person. That's a spiritual person. Amen. Amen. So I want to challenge you as we as we wrap up. I won't be able to go into the meat of what this chapter has to talk about for the Corinthian church until next week. But just today, let this, let this keep your mind. In what areas of my life am I still exposing myself to worldly influence? And while you might not entirely be able to cut your, but put measures in place. Put measures in place. Be be more into the same way you run from porn, right? Run away from influences that would subconsciously retrain the way you view certain things. It's it's just it's probably well maybe because sex is this this secret thing and all of that. That's why we've put it on that pedestal. But materialism is a is a problem. Relationships, forgiveness. You watch movies all about vengeance and you wonder why you can't forgive. How will you forgive? How, how will you forgive? <laughs> you will forgive. So until I until I do my own back. Or you see how this girl did this to this guy and this guy responded in this way and this and that. And that's all you can't and you're wondering why you respond in similar manners. I think I saw a quote. I can't remember. It was by Pastey over the week. That in times of temptation or something, what would uh, I can't remember how we're going to act is based on is not based on what something in that moment, but what we fed up to that point. I can't remember, but the point was simple. That is not when it's not when Potiphar's wife holds you that you will know that yes, it is wrong to sin. Or how can I do this great if no? If all you've been watching <laughs> is certain things, certain Instagram challenges, forget it. You are not running anywhere. The tower will still come off, yes, but you will not leave that place. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So be very careful. As believers, we have the Spirit of God. And just like we've talked about so far, the implication of that 
I, I, I don't think that's exactly the quote. I don't know if I should spend the time looking through my screenshots. But when I saw it, it blessed me. I was like, ah, I like this. I like this. I would probably find it before um, before next teaching, hopefully. Um, my screenshots are pretty numerous. But <laughs> yes. So as a believer, as a believer, let, let this, let this, let this remind you that you are different. You are different. Would Paul be able to say, oh, I can talk to you as someone who is full of the spirit? Or will Paul have to say, oh, you know what? I had to still talk to you like you were a baby. I had to talk to you like you're still a baby. Amen. Amen. We are not mere men. We are not mere men. Glory to God. I would give you the remaining six minutes because I went way over time last week. But from next week, we're going to talk about what does what, what did that carnality look like? We're going to spend a lot of time really talking about what exactly is the place of ministry gifts in the church. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that next week. How should we view ministry gifts? How should a ministry gift view himself or herself in the body of Christ? And where, where does... Where does God place the church? We're going to look at all of that next week. So um, make sure you plan to be there. Or if you can't, make sure you listen. For those who joined and haven't listened to chapter one and two, make sure you do so. Amen. Action points. I gave you two. Number one, think about your Christian practices and how it really does not make sense to the natural mind. It will help you appreciate the things of the spirit a lot more. Number two, consciously remind yourself that you are a person that has the spirit of God and as a result you are not like the world and so in the same moral situations in the same provocations you should not act the way an unbeliever should act it should not it should not be said that you also reacted in anger it should not be said that you also acted in unforgiveness it should not be said that you also was you were selfish or you were greedy or you no Am I saying we're all perfect? I'm not. I'm still growing in my walk with God. But that is the standard that, that has been set for us in Christ. And just because you are better than you, you are constantly performing better than those around you doesn't mean you're there yet. There's still much to strive for. We talked about that in Philippians. All right. So finally, any questions? And I'll see you all next week. Questions? Yes. Can I, can I go ahead to ask? Yes, please go ahead. So, um, going back to talking about uh, the natural man, mm. that's chapter verse 13 mm. from chapter 2, right? And we were talking about um, how, like, the spiritual mind, like, the natural man will not understand the things of the spirit, right? And then the spiritual the spiritual man will understand the things of the spirit. So, what, I, what I'm thinking about is, maybe it's a question, but, like, what I'm thinking about is the process from the natural man to a spiritual mind and you alluded to the fact that um once you look on jesus your the veil is taken away but how do you get to the point of looking on looking onto jesus is there not something that has happened that makes are you smiling at my question yes okay. i am <laughs> i am all right so um like what's the, what was that transition like hmm. and um yeah, it's like, at what point does the spirit start interfering in the natural man's life? That, I don't know, 
Is that is it making sense or is it just funny? It ma- no, it makes perfect okay. sense. I'll tell you why I'm laughing at you. Okay, all right. So there's that. And then there's the part of um young believers. And I think I think you answered the question later, but I wanted to just still ask about babes, right? So for instance, I would say that when I first got into faith, romance was a book that did not make sense to me. Like mm. it now just makes sense. But I was already saved, like I already believed, but romance was just very weird and just strange right so what 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 is the place of that in terms of the spirit helping you with spiritual things helping you understand the truth helping you understand the mystery of god and all of those things so that's like two parts of very good question um (laughs) the first question you asked i was lucky hoping it would not be asked because this is the one of the hearts of the argument of Calvinism or rather permit me for using that word scratch that one of the hearts of the argument between how does a person get saved is it regeneration then faith or faith then regeneration and does it take an active work of God for a person to get saved so certain people hold the theological view that unless God reaches out and extends his mercy to you you will not be saved like no man can be saved on his own accord because of verses like this right like free will or no free will like you're never going to choose the gospel unless god does something right such that anyone who has heard the message and hasn't received the christ is because god has chosen to not work on their hearts which is largely calvinistic anyways but um so I, 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 I hoped that question would come out because I was going to spend a lot of time on the issue of salvation in Romans. So <laughs> that was why I kind of went, went past that. But I'm glad you asked it. It shows that you're thinking. Um, <laughs> and it shows that you're reasoning scriptures out. Very good question. If the natural man, just to rephrase and to make it clear for everyone, if the natural man does not receive the things of God, how is a person saved? Amaka, you raise your hand up. You want to ask something related to this, or is it a question when I'm done answering both of Buki's question? Um, um, it was based off of what you just said. Yeah. Uh, I read some. I read. I was reading a book, and he said something about prevenient grace. <laughs> God had. God had reached out in some way it, no matter how subtle he mm. had reached out he he reached out to us in some way mm. before we first believed mm. and he, he was talking he was talking about it in the in relation to the pursuit of god mm. that god had done something in our hearts before we believed and then it was like finding god and then pursuing god in that light mm. so that's why yeah i i, I just remembered that yeah now you are seeing why I was hoping that question would not be asked because <laughs> that is a rabbit hole that I'll be very I want to take my time on but I'll I'll give I'll share a few thoughts on on that first of all um the first thing is no correct applic- interpretation of scripture should contradict um another valid interpretation of scripture right 
And so if that's the case, it means one is wrong or both are wrong. When it comes to the issue of salvation, very, 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 very important, but also very, very hotly debated. The issue of how does a man get saved? Is it that you hear the gospel and God, God um, regenerates you such that you are now able to see the light of the gospel? In a sense, you are saved before you said yes, something like that, right? Um, which is some level of prevenient grace, not, not all, not all, but something like that. Or is it that you said yes, and then you receive the Spirit, and then all of this applies to you? We read a similar verse in chapter 1, which I also intentionally did not go into the soteriological aspects, because again, part of going through this whole journey through the epistles is I, I, I have in mind a few things I want to emphasize per text, that I know I would still talk about what some texts have already said when it's properly explained. I've done that all through this teach, all through this since last year, right? There are places where we've maybe talked about gifts and I'm like, okay, when we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, we will camp on spiritual gifts. Same thing with salvation and Calvinism and whatnot. I don't know why I'm still using that word. I should not. But, um, <laughs> um, um yes i was hoping that when we get to romans romans will deal with soteriology but first corinthians 1 it's the same thing where it says um the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing first corinthians 1 18 but to us who are being saved is the power of god now you're like okay so are you saying unbelievers will always see the cross as foolish if that's the case how then do they get saved it's a similar idea so paul is not shying away from that he's not but what that means is that we need to be careful in reconciling scripture. If scripture clearly also says that you need to believe to be saved, but then scripture also says that a natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. How do we reconcile it? And I, I already answered a bit where I stand and I'm going to explain why. And of course, I'll explain why more in greater depth, which Amaka alluded to in the sense of prevenient grace, right? In the sense, the Spirit of God is actively working in the hearts of men, saved or not saved. And I did say that when the message of the gospel is preached, right? When the message of the gospel is preached, the Spirit of God, there is a demonstration of the Spirit and power such that even before you are saved, so what Paul is talking about is what? Understanding and acceptance, right? That even he's, he's saying that for the person who does not have the spirit, you cannot understand the wisdom of God, right? Whereas for those that have the spirit, they can. Where does the gospel fall into this? I, I, I teased it a bit, but I didn't dwell on it. Where I said that when the message is preached, that the Spirit of God is in the heart of the audience, urging them to respond to those that make that choice, right? They receive the Spirit. To those that don't, they don't receive the Spirit, right? Nowhere in the text did it say the natural man does not receive the Spirit. 
do you see that? It says the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. It's talking about the content of the revealed will. And so I fully believe, I would explain why in subsequent teachings, if you will give me the chance, that a person can respond. We see it every day. There are instances where an unbeliever is stirred, even just by conscience, to doing the right thing. If a natural man was so depraved that they cannot respond in any way to the goodness of God, this world would be way worse than it already is. Way worse than it already is. But people, out of the conscience of their hearts, there are things that you say, oh, I was just nudged to do this. A good example, for instance, Abimelech. Um, Abraham's, the guy that took Abraham's wife ignorantly, right? He just thought she was his sister. I'm like, oh, this guy's a babe. Let me add her to my um, harem, right? And God came to him in a vision. This guy is not saved. And God said, return, that you're going to die. And what did he do? He obeyed the spirit of God. Do you see that? All the gospel is asking is not necessarily a, 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 a full grasp of the salvation message. No, that's why it's called obedience to the faith. All the gospel is asking is trust in Jesus. And I do believe a natural man can respond in that way. The same way unbelievers all through history have heard the voice of God and, and can choose. Pharaoh heard the voice. What differentiates Pharaoh from Abimelech? Abimelech said yes. Pharaoh said no. Abimelech could have said, I don't care. I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold Pharaoh. Abraham's wife. Do your worst. That's exactly what Pharaoh did. Do you see that? Both natural men, both um, reached out to by the Spirit of God both different responses and so i don't think this verse is saying that the natural man cannot respond to the spirit of god or the natural man cannot say yes to the gospel it's saying a natural man cannot understand the will of god in salvation and those are different things and so when the gospel is preached just like abimelech just like pharaoh let my people go what is happening in the hearts of men is a tug in their hearts to surrender your life to Jesus, to realize that I can't do this on my own. I need help. Many people have gotten saved without ever fully understanding soteriology or writing their faith or baptism or no. That's what we're talking about, that only in the spirit does that make sense. But they can at least hear that you can't do life on your own. Trust in Jesus. He died for you. Do you, do you, does, does, that, does that help? That's, those are, that's just opening thoughts on the issue. But I hope it, it kind of helps. Does it help? Awesome. Awesome. Thank God for inspiration. That would be my lecture example. I've never actually used that in my life before. But thank God. <laughs> um, yes. The second question. Yes. Growth. Growth. Which actually ties into the first. Because now you now understand what exactly the spirit is doing. So, I'm glad it does, boy. God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad it does excel as well. Um, the second question was, uh, so yes, the, why, can't, so why can't I just read Romans? Should we have the Spirit of God? All things are revealed in the Spirit. <laughs> like I just said, we read Hebrews, right? There's still a place. What did Paul say in, in um, 1 Corinthians that we read? 1 Corinthians 2, 6. We speak wisdom amongst who? those who are mature <laughs> those who are mature hebrews 5 that we read it says what 
they are hard to explain by this time you've come to the church you have need of milk because you have the spirit of god it doesn't take away the the need for growth right it doesn't take away the need for growth it doesn't mean that the day you are saved the next day if i start to explain the tension between divine sovereignty and free will say i have the spirit of god i can understand this no all paul is saying is that because you have the spirit of god you can you the 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 plans and purposes of god make sense to you but you will still grow in understanding right it starts from what understanding why you were saved that's the basics you just learn righteousness by faith nothing you could do oh this is why this is how and then we can start to move on to further further depths and that's what i said i've i've said that twice now that the fact that i've i taught hebrews for 3 months plus shows that there is wisdom in the scriptures there's wisdom in scripture it's not saying that any spiritual truth will automatically that you don't need explanation you don't need teaching you don't need growth time in the word no that's not what he's saying but he's simply saying that you have the ability to receive it because you have the spirit of god yes you will still be taught yes it will take meditation yes it will take growth but because you have the spirit it's possible that's all he's saying for the unbeliever it doesn't really matter how long it's not going it's not going to not going to make sense at best they will get saved and then it will start to make sense does that make sense <laughs> it's just not make sense i hope it makes sense all right awesome thank you for asking thank you for asking like i said on the issue of how is a person saved or does god choose people or does god have to work in certain people and he chose not to work in certain people's hearts and that's why some are headed to heaven and some i said heaven some are some receive the spirit and some don't um all of that just be patient with me when we get to romans we'll talk a bit about it again in second corinthians 3 but we'll spend very very good time when we get to romans i assure you um so yeah thank you for the questions any other question awesome awesome please be patient i mean we've some people had questions about spiritual gifts i've been i've been posting them like just wait till we get to so just just bear with me just bear with me so yes we still have we have first corinthians second corinthians we have romans we have first thessalonians second thessalonians so there's a lot just be patient like i said my 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 um my offer or my my claim was that at the end of this at the end of this entire journey at least to a good extent every major topic of christianity will be addressed so be patient um but thank you for always asking amaka please go ahead i wanted to ask about we were when sorry you were talking about like the old testament or how god spoke about um his plan of salvation but it was not um it was not revealed in a way that he did okay so if that's like it just let's put it together so abraham moses and so on mm. it says they held on to the promises of god and they still didn't see like 
what God promised. Did they know about like salvation? Like, did they know like this was what God wanted to do? Like, mm. like yeah, that's my question. Like, did they know like the full mm. plan of God mm. that they held that they held on to mm. even until death? Mm. Okay. Um, number one, short answer. Listen to Judge Davis from episode one till now. <laughs> Long and um, slightly longer answer. Um, no, they didn't. I talked about it in both Galatians and um, Hebrews as well. How they did not need perfect revelation in all that God was going to do to be saved. All they needed was faith in the promises. How was Rahab saved? She believed that the God of Israel was the true God and she became an Israelite. That, that was literally her faith story. Right? She, she did she know the Messiah would save the world, salvation will come through. Barely anyone in the Old Testament knew that salvation will come through faith in the crucifixion of God's son. Barely anyone. Right? But that's what we're saying, right? That that's the point. That is what has been revealed. But all that was required was faith in all that they knew. To whatever point God had revealed to you, all you needed was faith in that. But now that Christ is here, through faith in Christ, we now have the full picture. That's that's the difference. So all Abraham had to believe was that in Isaac, God was going to give him Isaac and that God had called him out to be a blessing to the world. And he believed that he was saved. Um, he didn't know that it would be, oh, in your seed meant in a Messiah that was to come. He didn't know that uh, blessing is they will receive the Holy Spirit uh, all the nations remain Jew and Gentile. He didn't know all of those details. He didn't need to. Um, yeah. But I've talked, if you listen to Galatians and Hebrews, especially. I, I, spent... asked, I read Galatians. I was reading Galatians. Ah, so yeah. And listen. Read, read, yes, like Abraham. And yeah. Listen to my teaching on those chapters. It should clear up a lot. So yeah, good question. Um, yeah. Any other question? All right. Let us pray. <laughs> thank you all for sticking around. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for today. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for the beauty of scripture, how we can always come and our lives are transformed. We are instructed. We are corrected. We are blessed at your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the revelation of the gospel. Thank you because we have the Spirit and we, we, we can know you in the Spirit. We have clarity to your plans and purposes. We are glad. Thank you, Lord, because we have the Spirit of God and so we can walk in the Spirit. I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that we continually grow. We continually grow in our walk in the Spirit, that we are not carnal. We are not influenced by the flesh that we guard our hearts even in this world that constantly seeks to make us like it, that we would live full of the Spirit and would bring others to the same saving faith we found in you. I thank you for the journey ahead. I thank you because there's a lot more to learn. There's a lot more to understand. There's a lot more to rejoice in. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen and amen. As our custom is, we'll share the benediction so graciously provided by Ayo and Vuki. <laughs>
I hope you guys will not say, oh, when, when, um, when will Daniel stop calling our names? It will never happen. Um, <laughs> let me get it out and then we will share the benediction. All right. Share my screen. Give me a second, guys. Share screen. Benediction. Share. All right. Are we ready? Unmute yourselves and... Read it like you mean it, especially after what we've talked about today. <laughs> One, two, go. I'm a diligent student and doer of the word. I'm a teacher of the word. And the word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am corrected. By the word, and in the word, my glory to God. Hello. <laughs> Love you all. Um, I will see you same time next Saturday. Have a great week. If you have any questions, always feel free to reach out. I would love to answer. That's what I do on WhatsApp anyways. So <laughs> take care, guys. Bye. <laughs>